the concept is professional development outside of the challenge course. And I asked this to someone in an interview, outside of the work that we do, outside of our full-time job, is there an area or some professional development we think we've had in the past that has complemented the work we have now that isn't 100% focused on challenge courses? fascinating topic and my brain goes in a million different directions. One area that my brain immediately goes to, because I have felt this way my entire career of being an outdoor adventure programmer, trainer, facilitator, is doing stuff that is not directly related to challenge course in this context, but has to do with the same kinds of tools. So I very vividly remember taking a tree climbing workshop. So a four-day workshop on the use of institutional setting tree climbing using arborist techniques to get groups of students up off the ground and having aerial experiences that are very different than what we would consider being tree climbing staples and belay cables. Even though I never did that programmatically, the context in which it was taught the way they were teaching skills to me to then apply to others. And the way they were framing the experiences in the trees has an influence in, on what I still do to this day. Similarly, I think it would be great if you were running a challenge course to go take a training from like a climbing wall association. Go to a CWA and get climbing wall instructor trained. You might not even have a climbing wall, but you probably already know how to belay but you're going to learn a different way. You might learn a cool new way to do a head-to-toe check that they do within their curriculum that you've never thought of before that might be very valuable. You actually might find out more about the nuances of belaying in a climbing context that may have applicability or help you become a better belayer. I, I mean, I can just think of lots of those sort of cross-pollination with ropes keeping people safe at height. Go take a trapeze course or an aerial silk course at a local circus provider. You might learn something that has some really cool application. How many local circus providers do you think there are? Well, Brattleboro. <laughs> As in Mecca. <laughs> yeah, New England no, Circus so. Art School. Yeah. I think that when I was thinking of this question, I realized that it, it's about what we maybe an area of work that we did prior to doing this work and how that sort of complements it or our own interests. So the two things that popped into my brain was that I taught outdoor ed for many years and my knowledge of the fauna and flora of the area sort of complements my working outside of groups in just unique connection-based ways. But I, there's a blog that I wrote called Find Your Pinecone, but it's it referenced that exact thing. Kids were asking me questions about the f the landscape and what is this in relationship to a pine cone, and it evolved into a, a couple of hours talking about the outside world, and especially when challenge courses are in the outside world, knowing about the outside world, I found is beneficial because it gives me a great context. From a challenge course perspective, when I'm training about woodpeckers that make damage on poles and tree courses. I, I know a lot about woodpeckers, so it gives me like a greater scale to be able to talk about it, and this creates interest in a different topic. So I think that complements the work that I do outside the challenge course quite nicely. So any 
thing you can do to learn about the outside world that you're in, I don't think is a miss. I think that is only going to help you working outside. And then the other one, this is my nerdiness, but I enjoy learning about magic tricks and card tricks. But for me, this sort of leads to something else. It's it's that ambulator, on-the-move, time-filling kind of activity thing that just has a different interest that allows me to fill gaps in time or sit around at lunch and bring out something that you're interested in and talk about it that fills good time. It creates a connection that helps the work that we do too. So in a lot of trainings, I've just been throwing in stuff that I'm interested in into the middle of the mix that doesn't actually relate to challenge courses, but I think helps me to connect with people and they that makes them want to share their interests. So those are two things that jump to mind for me when it comes to other areas of professional development outside of us. Well, spending a fair amount of time traveling back and forth here or going to trainings, I think there's other simple ways to do that. Podcasts, or go, I find a great way for me to keep up to date on all sorts of different things. Like um, there's a person, Adam Grant, who I'm, uh, I really think wonderful things about. For those of you not aware of him, he's a professor of organizational psychology at the University of Pennsylvania and has written numerous books. And he has a fabulous podcast about all sorts of different things having to do about the work world, but also having to do with trust. And it's kind of thinking of things in a little bit of a different way. And also professional reading like we do here at High Five, whether it be the book Legacy about the uh, All Blacks rugby team as so just a way to connect to different things that we do with groups. I'm reading a great book called Range, which has to do about a case against specialization in certain things and to look for those general themes throughout different sports or different activities. And I'm trying to apply that to the workshops here that I do. And what are the general themes that you're noticing? Yeah. I mean, I appreciate everything I've heard and I, and I've certainly experienced that range too visiting many adventure parks with kids to just, you know, learn how all that stuff works as it just informs me. But I think whatever might be sparking my interest outside of work is probably going to find its way into work. I mean, the three of you have had to endure me listening to things about Scandinavian design and colors and all that stuff. Just because I, I think maybe it's my age or just how busy my life is. I don't really have the ability now to have like, here's work, and this is non-work. Like this week, I'm learning how to make pom-poms and I'm going to make my own bag of tossables because it's fun. Or like last summer, I was really into folding paper. So we made these paper boxes for our participants. I think it's like, like I'm interested in tinkering and that somehow finds its way. And then there's almost this like psychology of when I can learn something new domestically or at home, like cooking something or making those plaster leaves it like gives me confidence to try something new at work. So it's like, what are the sources of confidence or efficacy or courage that I have in my non-work life that come into my, and I guess that is professional development in a way. And then I've just been so privileged over the years to be part of organizations that send me to conferences to present, but that, but just being in that milieu, I try when I'm presenting at a conference, if I'm not presenting it or in the booth, I'm in it taking as many workshops as I can. I think we in general at High Five are good about that and and then sharing what we've learned with each other when we get back. I think other resources that have proven useful to me to keep me always knowing that for me personally and then therefore my role within High Five on the edge of like, are we doing the common things that the rest of the world is doing? So I have a number of like, I'm sure you all have your favorite Facebook groups and things, but like 
canyoneering rigging, rope rescue, you know, like these different Facebook groups. I think one's called Institutional Anchors, I think, or something that's all around. And then the American Mountain Guides Association Guides Forum. So there's all these places where you can hear how people are using a carabiner in their multitude of contexts. And then things pop up like, oh, these kind of carabiners are breaking. There's a recall on them. And, you know, all those kinds of pieces come about that can help inform your craft. I think another piece for me that's been really strong through the years is remaining a connection as a trainer to the builders and designers of our courses. And we basically show up and train people on how to use these. If we have a better idea of how they've been designed and built, we're going to be better. So always maintaining that connection. And if you're not fortunate enough to, to work for a PVM and have them nearby, being the practitioner who's out there when someone's inspecting your course. You know, as long as you do it in a way that doesn't like force the builder or the person inspecting your course to spend an extraordinary amount of time on your course. But if if you can actually be out there and ask those key questions, you can gain a lot of knowledge by observing what they're doing with your course and how they're making those determinations. So strong builder trainer relationship is good. What a shock to find out you're on something called institutional anchors. But like uh, there are other groups out there on Facebook just searching around that I've jumped into that are helpful. There was a climbing one called, it's called Climb Harder and Faster. I think that's the one I sent you, Chris and Lisa, the link to that rope coiling video that I just was like, oh, I saw that. And that was like, oh, that's kind of helpful. That's a different, you know, as someone else talking about coiling rope. And there's the American Journal of Play, which I regularly look at. And it's just got scientific study on play. It just only bolsters, I think, all of the content you do, if you know other stuff about sort of around the topics that we're talking about. I agree. And I think that we don't, I mean, especially if you're a sort of newer, younger practitioner listening to this podcast, I would, this is something I would ask you to consider is that you don't need someone to tell you where your expertise will flourish. We might as practitioners who've done this for a while have a common list of titles on our bookshelves, but that doesn't mean that those need to be everybody's. And if you think it benefits your work, it benefits your work. Like I always watch the press conference after a basketball game, if it's a team that I follow, and I learn something about the way the coach is analyzing the team. Now, am I going to say to every young practitioner, you need to watch the basketball pressers? No, but that helps me. And so if you have something that helps you, you don't need to have your employer define what's valuable for your own learning or not. And I think I, I, I've been inspired, Chris, by you for years. I know you were subscribe to these journals and these groups and you know you know about amusement park accidents because of that idaccidents.com uh, yeah there you go I that'll that'll too. you'll spend a half hour there at least but that's the kind of thing like you're not going to find in a workshop all right here are your 10 top books you know your activity books to give yourselves permission to find value where you find it i also think um if you have been a practitioner in the field for a while and you know this 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 isn't going to help uh High Five's open enrollment workshop numbers. But if you've always taken your training from High Five and you're a pretty seasoned practitioner, at least once in your career, you need to go somewhere else and go out to Leahy and Associates or go to Challenge Design Innovation or go to Project Event. Go somewhere else and hear another viewpoint on the use of those same tools will be valuable, even if not directly applicable, but valuable nonetheless. 
I mean, I like the philosophy of professional development, and I think it came out of the polar dip here many years ago for those who uh, haven't been to the symposium, the high five to the polar dip for many years where you it's February and you jump in the pond. And it's like, what's the reason behind that? And the goal was to continually try and challenge yourself in different ways. So when you're asking other participants to do that, that you have a sense of what that's like for them. One for me that was fairly, I kept trying to learn the Eskimo role in the kayak and I just do not have a hip, hip snap. And actually at Northeast AEE one year was adventure belly dancing. Gave that a try. Didn't work for me, but it was it was quite an experience. So sometimes your professional development may go in a direction you may not necessarily think, but willing to give it a try and put yourself out there. So you're saying be in the lo- role of a learner who is exactly. perhaps is struggling with content. Yeah, so I understand when somebody's really struggling to get to the top of a climb. Oh, there are certain things that I can't do. The Eskimo role is I, qu- I can't do yet, or I may never be able to do, and I don't know if my participants can do everything I'm asking them to do. I think as we like talk about this stuff, it just makes me think that reminds us that we're all different. We're all doing the same job, all right? But we all have our own different unique interests that complement our work in our own way. And I couldn't expect you all to learn magic tricks or learn about trees. And like the same way, I don't want to learn necessarily about Scandinavian design, but like this. <laughs> but it busted out, fell. <laughs> yeah. But what it does show, though, is like we—it's like the tinker thing in, in itself, anyway. Yeah, is that we are—we all might do the same work, and we all do it differently, but we all complement that because we're doing something that we're passionate about. So finding something from a professional development stance that you're really enjoying, and find a way to bring that into the work you do, and it makes you enjoy the work more, and that also gives you more of a license to be able to go and do that professional development if you bring it in. I do know. It depends on your the place you work. I worked when I worked at the Y. The YMCA was always great about allowing me to do professional developments. So they let me go to places that weren't perfectly aligned, and they'd say like, "All right, well, what are you going to bring back?" I remember there was we used to do this thing called Choice Time, which was kids get to choose what they wanted to do. But we got to as a facilitator, we just got to lead something that we were interested in. We used to teach something that wasn't related to anything we were doing. You get to pick your topic. What are you excited about? And share your excitement with your students. And I think that helps in those downtime moments to really connect and whatever is authentic to you. It's like when I teach games to people, I tell them very explicitly, if you don't like this game, you shouldn't lead it yourself because you won't be able to authentically be behind it. It's not you. We all need to know how to belay and tie knots. So come to high five for those kind of trainings. But any other training out there, feel free to insert that into your work and it normally plays pays off. Thanks for listening to Vertical Playcast. And then what about thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast? Can you do it? Okay, try. Thanks for giving. I think I'll pass the guy. <laughs>